0: suncast is brought to you by sungrow providing clean power for all suncast is also brought to you by trina solar hi i'm pablo astorga global sales manager microgrids with abb if you're looking for the best info and tips on how to develop and sell solar and microgrids in latin america look no farther welcome to suncast with my friend nico johnson there and welcome to episode 10 of Suncast, the only podcast dedicated to solar professionals in Latin America. My name is Nico Johnson and I'm so grateful that you're joining me today for another conversation with solar industry experts and thought leaders. This is the place for you to listen in on friendly conversations as I tease out stories on personal and professional growth, market development, and industry trends with folks from the front lines. We're digging up the timeless truths and lessons learned along the career paths of some of the most experienced folks in the solar business. And it helps that I've also had personal experience in Latin America and solar for more than a decade. Whether you're listening on your commute, your lunch break, or maybe even a long flight, it's my hope that this show provides you the insights and resources to lead the solar revolution in Latin America, the fastest growing solar market in the world. Gosh, I know it has been a long gap, a big break here on Suncast between our last episode with Pablo Astorga and this new episode. And I just want to thank you for patience in the absence. Thank you for the many uh, emails and conversations I've enjoyed with fans of Suncast who've said, Nico, what's up, man? Are you ever going to put out a new episode? Well, the answer is yes. And uh, I'm not going to go into great detail about the, the untimely uh, delay of Suncast recently. But I will say that, you know, I, I realized something along the way here. There's something to uh, when you go so long without doing something that you really enjoy. Uh, I'd liken it to perhaps running, which I love, or, or even, I mean, simple eating sweet potatoes. You know the feeling when you eat a sweet potato and you think to yourself, or maybe some other food for you, I don't know, you think, gosh, why has it been months since I've had this food? It's delicious. Or why have I gone so long without a run? I really need this for my sanity. Well, you know, you remember kind of how much you actually love it. And for me, as I mentioned in episode zero, the About Me episode, uh, I really love this. I really love the opportunity to... Get uh, get on the on the mic and talk with you. I really love the opportunity to meet you in person and just to have friendly conversations with folks that I know and love and respect in this industry. And I to you all apologize that we've had this this gap. Will be my intention to uh, make them much more regular, uh, but a little bit more. I have moved my family from Miami up to Durham, North Carolina, a little closer to home uh, as we found out in uh in January that we had a new member of our family uh, to to be born. So, we're pregnant with our with another child and moved our family up to be closer to the rest of our extended family here in the Carolinas. And I am uh, re- starting to just settle into a rhythm here. One of the reasons why I'm able on a on a able to on a Saturday afternoon, as it is right now, uh, just sit down and do some more recording. And another change in my life: I moved on from my role as a project developer at Conergy, as many of you knew. Uh, I was working at Conergy, and I am doing a, a number of, of other things, not the least of which is working on. Financing distributed generating generation, uh, primarily solar throughout Latin America, uh, many a few several different countries. If you want to see or hear more about uh, that venture, it's called Faro Energy. And that's Faro F A R O Energy dot com. And man, there's just been so much that we've missed. I can't possibly cover it all. I mean, there's exciting stuff since we did our last show with Pablo. Uh, we I was down in the in Mexico for the Mexico uh, summit for Green Tech Media. Obviously, the biggest news is the gigantic uh, solar tender that happened in Mexico. The Argentina tender that's coming up, <laughs> new legislation in both Brazil and Colombia and several other countries that is uh, that is entering into um, into operation now and in in the coming months. Presidential elections across the region re-election in Dominican Republic, for example, just on and on. It'd be impossible to catch up on it all, but I do think I'll do another episode pretty soon with a market analyst and try to bring everyone up to speed. That said, if you want something that's interesting reading, if you are, a, obviously, a Green Tech Media uh, PV playbook. Uh, user, then you've, you're ahead of the game. You're using probably what is the what I'd say is the state of the art uh, technology for reading about what's going on in Latin America. Uh, Mike Munsell of G- GreenTech Media Research published another teaser to their playbook uh, for the for the latest that just came out in June, and it gives interesting detail on how the region continues to to evolve. According to the report, the region is on pace to install 2.2 gigawatts of PV in 2016. That's up 55% over last year's 1.4 gigawatts, folks. That is amazing, and it continues to punctuate the fact that Latin America is, in fact, a legitimate region for solar and the fastest-growing region, and I believe still holds that title. Further, GTM anticipates that Latin America will install 7.7 gigawatts of PV per year by the year 2020. And that is ever <laughs> much closer now. Uh, it's only three and a half years away, folks. 7.7 gigawatts. That is, uh, that is amazing. Uh, I'm, I remember the conversations not so long ago with friends in the industry that, that I was saying Latin America was going to be a legitimate region. And I'm so pleased to see that that, in fact, is coming true. Well, today on Suncast... We are going to introduce a slightly modified format. It's similar content, similar breadth of discussion. Only we're going to break it out into part 1 and part 2. I believe that they will begin weekly rotation on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We'll see how long it takes to get for us to get there. And uh, it should make it easier to digest. I hear you. 50 minutes, 60 minutes, or more often is hard to consume. Uh, It's perhaps even a barrier for you to begin the conversation. So I solicit your feedback on this change. Hopefully, uh, part one and part two will make it much easier to digest and to follow the conversation, and uh, I'm really, really happy about today's episode. I've been incubating it for quite some time. And today, we get to welcome our first female to the show. Many of you, I'm certain, are already familiar with Karin Berardo, M&W. Karin's extensive background in renewables and finance and emerging markets is among the most impressive I've ever encountered. She and I spent some time together in Mexico during January's Mexico Summit, as I mentioned. So the show was recorded uh, quite a few months ago, but... I think you'll find that much of the information she shares is timeless. Now she's been active in Mexico for more than three years with Gerlich or MW and believes that while the utility space is hot, the CNI space in Mexico is the more interesting market and one we should probably be looking closer at. I really love Karin's honesty in this episode, admitting that her resume has been an adventure, and while not particularly guided by foresight, It is successful nonetheless. Around, uh, I guess, minute 17, you'll hear as she explains how she discovered a need to, as she calls it, learn the language of finance. That brought her into Munime, and we cover a little about what working at Munime taught her about finance and ultimately how MMA Renewable Ventures began. About two thirds of the way through, Karin discusses what she's looking for as an investor long term and The nature of PPA products, generally, as investment vehicles. And if you're looking to understand where are the main funds coming from that are flowing into these types of projects, sort of towards the tail end, probably around minute 28, Karin Karin gets to answer that question. Well, I'm so glad that you're here with us today, because you're in for another treat. I do hope you enjoy this week's episode of Suncast with Karin Berardo. Well, it is my absolute pleasure to have Karin Berardo, the EVP of Emerging Markets for MNW Solar. Karin is indeed a pioneer in many ways in our industry, drawing on over twenty years of experience ranging from structured finance to project product development. And she's raised and structured over eight hundred million in institutional funds for investments in the U.S., Africa, the Middle East, and Latin America. And as Executive Vice President for Emerging Markets at MNW. AKA Gerlacher Solar America. Karin coordinates solar solutions for MW offices throughout Latin America, Africa, the Middle East, and Asia on projects as large as utility scale down to microgrid configurations. Prior to MW, Karin has worn many hats, among them co founding Clean Path Ventures and working with Solar IPP MMA Renewable Ventures. And she also has extensive experience in the development and policy arena, including. Brazil, where her white papers have been instrumental in defining policy for the Ford Foundation and the World Bank pilot project on the Amazon. In Colombia, where she has assessed green finance mechanisms and investment strategies to promote renewable energy, among other things. Karin, I rarely read the exhaustive bio. I believe that yours merits it, so I'm going to continue just a little bit further if you'll indulge me. She... Has been on the board of several institutions, including one that she founded for transformative innovation, providing technology solutions and mentorship to social entrepreneurs developing commercial solutions to renewable energy, sustainable ag, and water security in emerging markets. And last but not least, she has earned a master's in public policy, an international master's in business, and a bachelor's in Latin American studies, all from the illustrative U- University of Chicago. Karin, thank you so much, my friend, for joining Suncast. You ready to get down to business?
1: I am, Nico. It's really an honor to be here, and thank you so much for inviting me. Let's you do bet. this.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's all, so good. No, honestly, I, I rarely uh, fill the preamble of the show with such, uh, with such credentials, but I am just honored to have you on the show. I'm honored to have my first female guest, Uh, So I definitely want to hear more about some of the pioneering work you've done in the industry. But I first want to just acknowledge and thank you for bringing gender equality to SunCast. And as it is all too often your role at so many conferences... Uh, I just want to acknowledge you and thank you for for being our first female guest.
1: Well, thank you so much. Again, it's an honor to be here. Thank you. And uh, I wish I wasn't the first female executive, but I'm more than happy to carry that mantle. And I hope that I will be joined by more and more women on Suncast and elsewhere. And in fact, there are some phenomenal women in the industry that I've had the honor and good fortune of working with. So I hope that we get them into the sphere as well
0: well said i'm sure I met you at a conference, but one of my favorite places to see you and hang out and catch up are, are at conferences and we were just had we had the pleasure of sharing the stage together at the green tech media summit in mexico and i'd like to sort of jump in right at the beginning here uh, with our perhaps mutual perspectives coming off the conference on what many believe is uh, the soon to be hot market of Mexico. Do you have any sense that there was a a bit of clarity for you coming off last week's meeting in Mexico? Or (laughs) do you have a different... You have a different. You have a very particular and and deep uh, understanding and history in Mexico. Uh, so I, I leave that open for your interpretation. But I'd love to hear your perspective coming off of a week uh, of of intense meetings in Mexico.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I I wish that clarity is what I came away from. Um, certainly, uh, a lot of excitement. Yet again, at the beginning of another year in Mexico, where again we're hoping that this is going to be the year that the market takes off. Uh, We've been working down there for probably about three years now and uh, we're starting to get some good traction and then the energy reform started and last year was pretty much a lost year. Um, So it's really exciting to see that the structure and the policies and the rulemaking is in place to support uh, the, the expansion of solar in Mexico. Um, but clarity i don't know is exactly the right term it It was great to hear what's going on in the subasta in the auction process, and um if anything, what I noted being at the conference was that a lot of folks who are Very involved in the Subasta were not able to attend the conference because they're all scrambling to get their pre-qualification packages together and their pricing analysis together. Uh, and in fact, as a EPC company, MNW is uh, also very busy trying to keep up with all of our potential partners and customers on pricing for that auction. But the other part of the market that I uh, really holds a, a warm place in my heart is the commercial and industrial market and the smaller scale market and I think that Mexico is has enormous potential in that space and We'll get there as well, but it was a little disappointing that we don't have a little more information on how that's going to come together. So I left kind of with a mixed bag. I think it's fantastic what's happening on the auction front, um, but as always in Mexico, there's a lot more work to do, and and I think there are a lot more permutations of how this program is going to come together uh, before the market really starts to take off and 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 fulfill its its possibilities.
0: Yeah, well stated, and I have a follow up question there. But I also want to just make a quick little plug here for our friends at Green Tech Media. They did a great job putting the conference together, and it was uh, unclear to me if they had recordings. But someone just forwarded me last week uh, a, Gre- a Green Tech Media Squared, which is their paid service uh, email that uh, suggests that you can listen to the whole conference in streaming, uh, like I guess recorded. Uh, is my expectation. Oh, good. So
1: I I look forward to doing that. Unfortunately, I I missed uh, far too many of the sessions. I kept trying to get close to the door and then finding wonderful friends and colleagues and uh, business partners and uh, entering into a lot of really productive and engaging conversations. But at the expense of missing some of those, really what looked to be some fantastic sessions.
0: Yeah I I had it was a similar scenario for me. I'm curious do you feel like the the week was encapsulated with what amounted to deal making or uh, a lot of folks still trying to assess the market.
1: Good question. I, for me it was I think fairly balanced on both sides. Um there were folks that we have been talking about projects with for a long time um, who are moving forward, although, again, there's a little bit of a pause as a lot of potential private customers are waiting to see what's going to happen with the auction. So, again, there's a wait and see, um, but certainly a fair amount of deal-making is happening. But I am consistently impressed and surprised by the new entrance every time there is a conference like this in Mexico Uh, in Mexico in particular, because I feel like it has been kind of developing and becoming a market for some time. uh, There were a fair number of people who were there just to check it out for the first time. And, you know, they've heard that it's going to be a big market and they want to understand it. And, you know, and then you check back with them towards the end of the conference and you see whether they're terrified or excited or a little bit of both.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And I feel like the folks who were there primarily looking into the CNI space? We're we're probably a little more terrified than they anticipated because there's so much uncertainty. But perhaps we'll get into that because that's I know that's one of the topics that you and I hold a particularly, as you mentioned, dear spot in our hearts for. I mentioned in the preamble that you have a BA in Latin American studies. Uh, I'm curious what led you down that path. Um, but I'm also curious what your first experience doing business in Latin America was was it solar related did it did it play uh, off of your latin american studies or can can you talk a little bit about that
1: Absolutely, and, and uh, thank you for the question. Most people would not get to a resume like mine through uh, discipline and foresight. And in fact, uh, it, it, may, it may sound like it makes some sense in hindsight, but uh, living through it, it was just a terrific adventure, to be honest. <laughs> um, I first went down to Latin America, in fact, as a senior in high school. I was an exchange student in northern Argentina, in the the province of San Miguel de Tucumán. I arrived at 17 years old. I did not speak a word of Spanish. I, I had had the good fortune of growing up as an expat in the UK, so I was used to adapting and... Um, weaving and dodging and <laughs> trying to f- find my way in the world, um, but that was really uh, the fantastic experience that introduced me to Latin America, um, growing up also going to high school in in Los Angeles, I did not have a real clear idea of what was going on south of the border, um, and the news at the time was not very reliable and uh, for for a teenager um, using selective media attention to figure out what was going on south of the border. So it was really a wonderful experience for me to live with a family, go to high school, um, and just be a kid in Argentina at that point in time. Um, And it was that love and that passion that when I went on to college, I wanted to, one, actually Learn Spanish rather than the street Spanish that I picked up in Argentina, mm. um, and pursue learn a little bit more. Frankly, uh, most of my studies were at that time in anthropology, in um, you know history and literature, and the things that just caught my attention. Um, and so it was, it, you know, it really was a, a pursuit or a following of my heart. Um, further on from there, I then wanted to continue. I wanted to go back to Latin America. Uh, it was a time of transition. I could not go back to the Andes. I wanted, I was hoping to go to, uh, Peru. And, um, during that period in the Andes, it was quite, um, uh, uh, unstable with Sendero Luminoso. Mm Uh, and it was a moment when things were starting to get very, uh, exciting in the Amazon um, I had the good fortune of being in Argentina the year after they became a democracy and to being in Brazil two years after they became a democracy. So I I really saw that transition into civil society uh, two times in a row. Um, I ended up spending a year in the Amazon in Beleng, where I was essentially studying and working with communities on sustainable agriculture and natural resources management and economic development at the community level with communities in the interior and then after i finished college i went back and worked for the ford foundation on a a amazon-wide study on how how uh, local organizations government organizations and newly permitted NGOs could play a role in helping to to structure a more sustainable um policy framework for the Amazon.
0: Wow. That's that's a remarkable introduction to Latin America.
1: <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and the ju- the joke is, you know, I I meet people from Argentina, I meet people from Brazil. They're inevitably from Buenos Aires or from São Paulo or from Rio. Rio, uh-huh. and of course, I spend all of my time in the interior of Pará State and Belém. And Tucuman, so <laughs> uh, it really wow. was. I, 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 again, it was an opportunity and tremendous good fortune for me to be able to see um, a different side of of both of those cultures.
0: Yeah, that's phenomenal. It, it sounds very. Uh, I mean, frankly, it sounds very Peace Corps esque in nature.
1: Potentially, yes, but but quite a bit <laughs> different. <laughs> I I think uh, for, for, uh, among other reasons, uh, the Peace Corps had been kicked out of Brazil by that point, and I don't know if they've gone back yet.
0: Yeah, frankly, I don't either, actually. (laughs) Well, uh, you know, I mentioned earlier that you are, in fact, uh, one of the pioneers in our industry, and I don't say that tongue-in-cheek. Obviously, you're one of the high-powered female executives in our industry. I often call you that. Probably makes you blush. I apologize, but I... uh, you know I, I know that some of the industry's pioneers have had the privilege of working alongside you, I and mean, I refer, of course, to folks like like founders of companies like MMA, Matt Cheney, and other companies that you've had the fortune to work with or found companies with. Would you mind sharing a little about those early days of how you got involved in solar, what you were doing at the time, and what some of the biggest challenges were that you guys faced as you really brought new financial tools to an industry that we all sort of take for granted now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if you'll permit me, I'll, I'll use the experience of my story a little bit more to sure, explain how guest. I got there. <laughs> um, when I was in the Amazon as an anthropologist and literature major, <laughs> essentially, <laughs> um, but working, living and working with very um, impoverished communities and uh, trying to understand how they could be more deliberate in their in building their futures uh, against the logging companies and the cattle ranching companies and the huge mining companies it became very clear to me that i would need to learn or had was in a position to learn the language of finance um, to try to help the communities and work with the communities that I wanted to work with, mind you, this was in a time before uh, the word climate change was had been used, and before sustainability was a concept. Um, but I had this idea that that maybe out of naivete, that maybe we could, I could help figure out how we could bring capital market solutions uh, to economic de- development and economic growth, specifically around natural resources. And so from there, I got a public policy degree and a business degree, and was quite surprised when, um, for various reasons, I ended up w- having my first job out of business school being in the real estate sector. Um, the reason I was intrigued by this company, Muni May Municipal Mortgage and Equity, was because they brought capital market solutions they were publicly traded on the new york stock exchange to finance affordable and low-income housing and that was a, an idea that i thought was very compelling that i wanted to learn more about what i ended up learning through that process was around structured finance, structured debt products, structured equity products, uh, public markets products, institutional investors products, how to raise uh, funds uh, from institutional investors and how to manage, you know, gain their trust, manage their portfolios and establish very clear policies policies and procedures um, to be a good fiduciary on behalf of of our investors. Um, So, that was a period of extended education, first through school and then in uh, learning the language of real estate. There were times I was not sure what direction I was going in, but it became a lot clearer in 2006 with the um, expansion of the tax credit rules around renewable energy. At that time, MMA was the largest syndicator of low-income housing tax credits in the world. And as a company, we were looking at ways to strategically grow our our platform and our expertise in tax credit syndication, as well as in affordable housing. And that was when we strategically went out to uh, find ways to expand into the solar tax equity and and renewable energy tax equity business. And we started working with Matt Cheney and and built a company together with him um, to really bring these... Significant assets and experience, and investors. We we were managing tax credit funds on behalf of two hundred, more than two hundred different tax credit investors at that time, um, and so attracting a whole new uh, generation of tax credit investors into the renewable energy uh, sphere for the first time. Uh, It it was very hard going. It was very hard uh, convincing traditional institutional investors that uh, renewable energy made sense, that solar power was going to work. And, that there, yeah, and that these were not just incredibly high risk assets. <laughs> um, right. But we had yeah. a fantastic team, including uh, Matt Chaney, Chad Sachs, Joe Castor, uh, Mark McClanahan. You know, it, it really was the A-team and uh, it, it was a great team to work with and, and uh, continues today as I travel around and, and come across people from that MMA um, alumni group. Uh, yeah, you know, to mm-hmm. to continue to see how uh, how we're building that this community is really fantastic.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, what you just said, like MMA alumni are doing some of the largest projects in the industry. I mean, I point Topher Wood for example, building one of the largest projects in the United States, one of the largest projects in the world, uh, is an alumni. I mean, the list goes on and on. Do you feel like the face of solar and We'll call it, we'll look at solar, uh, particularly the face of solar finance is changing as emerging markets begin to come online, or are these similar products going to be built into the way emerging markets work? And the reason I ask that is I find so often that most of, at least most of the North American investors who look at Latin America look through the lens of making sure these, you know, these these newbies in the Latin American market sort of get it right. And by get it right, they mean structure the way we like it in North America. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious, do you think that's a long-term trend where things will continue to be patterned after North America or do you see these products being molded to fit the markets of Brazil, molded to fit the markets of Colombia and Central America? And and you know speak ex- as well, obviously, to your experience from uh, Southeast Asia as you reflect
1: mm-hmm. on that. It's, it's a great, it's a great question. And certainly in uh, my current role in emerging markets and working with cultures all over the world, I'm always very uh, conscious and careful around, you know, are we bringing American strategies to the market because um, of some, some Ego or naivete or (laughs) blindness. Um, or is this really, are there some aspects here that really are, you know, we've learned, we've learned some things the hard way and we really are bringing some, some useful processes and structures to the table. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's always something of a balance between the two. Um, I think ultimately, whether we're talking about renewable energy or, or my getting back to my first passion in the Amazon sustainable, you know, small, small farmer, sustainable agriculture and, and the water energy nexus. The, the long-term goal is to create financial products that are palatable for institutional investors. Um, I think right. Jigger Shaw wrote in, in his book, there's something like, $6 trillion, I may get that number wrong, but $6 trillion of investment capital required to address kind of the climate, some of the ur- most urgent climate change issues right now. Um, we're not going to be able to organize $6 trillion uh, just out of local markets. At the same time, institutional investors are not comfortable frequently going in, you know, being the first investor in a new product, in a new market. And, um, we do require more uh, private equity, local equity, local investor partners to help get through the first couple of, um, iterations of products in any new market. Frequently, those are small scale, um, pilot projects. You know, they're, they're, Kind of trying to figure it out, proving to the market and the customer base that these projects make sense, um, figuring out some of the challenges that we have just around uh, credit ratings and c- credit underwriting processes and what tools may be available in any given market to underwrite those things. But at the end of the day, um, I always look at, at, you know, what is the long term uh viability of this investment product. And it may well be just as in real estate that an an investment might change hands multiple times in its lifetime. And we have to make that investment product. And in this case I talk about a PPA and a, a piece of solar equipment, right? Um, it's really the PPA that is the revenue generating vehicle and that's what we have to make look as standardized as possible, as easy for an investor to understand and to underwrite as possible, and hopefully uh, standardized enough that over time they might be acquired into large public funds, Yield co's, um, institutional portfolios, and places where um, people really are investing at the scale of the billions of dollars that we're going to need to transform our uh, energy platform globally.
0: That is as usual. I mean, I'm always just amazed at how well you um, are able to put really complex topics into understandable layman's terms. Thank you for that explanation. I want to um, first of all, uh highlight that the book you referenced, Creating Climate Wealth, uh, which is Jigger Shaw's book, actually uh the number is ten trillion oh. um of mainstream capital that, that he refers to often of being able to flow into these projects. Uh, it just but, got harder, um, right?
1: Four trillion yeah. four trillion more dollars is now needed.
0: <laughs> exact exactly. And and you know, he talks about um the role of impact investors in particular mm-hmm. unlocking mm. these, these climate change solutions. <laughs> and what I think that a lot of developers miss when they're trying to sell their projects, and I think this is one of the reasons why I ask these questions, I, I, I think that a lot of developers in particular, and certainly product sales folks um, who haven't been in the nitty-gritty of of setting up a project or financing a project, miss the fact that the the greenfield part of it is important, But the right financial tool is what will ultimately bundle this project into a larger portfolio. And there's almost an infinite bundling of these Mm -hmm. projects because they continually are resold as financial instruments to reduce risk and further reduce risk, as you mentioned, just to, to, to carve out the... Required returns of the institutional investors, and to reassure them that these instruments are uh, as de-risked as possible. Yeah, Yeah,
1: no, absolutely, and and as you say, uh, you know, the the institutional investors um, are looking for the de-risked assets. Getting back to your question of is this a U.S. standard in today's globalized yeah. capital flows? Absolutely not. You know, the, the, the large capital pools that are coming into this space are so- sovereign wealth funds, whether they're from the Middle East or Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, they're enormous pension funds as much from Europe as Canada as the United States. Um, you know, they're enormous in, uh, insurance companies. And so they really are, um, investors from all over the world. And at the same time, um, we do see kind of a consistent set of an increasingly codified set of metrics and criteria uh, in the renewable energy space. But you can take those metrics and criteria and look to them in the traditional energy space or from my training in the re- real estate space. Um, and, and it becomes somewhat form- formulaic. And you're right, you do really need to think about where the financing is coming from and where the future financing is coming from that, you know, what an investor needs today. Let's also make sure that we're building something that we can, that we have an exit for, that there's going to be another investor who will come into this project when it's a lower risk asset and they're just looking for, um, you know, a, a core asset, a, a yielding cash flowing asset. And and so really, you know, knowing that there's a full life cycle on this project and it's not enough just to make sure that all of the permitting is done right, it's what are we building for the next 25 or 30 years in our infrastructure.
0: Hey, hey, you made it to the end of part one of our conversation with Karen Barardo. I'm certain that you're taking with you some wonderful tips on how to improve on your game in the coming week. And stay tuned this week for part two of this interview where you'll hear which markets Karn predicts are hot and which are not. Hey, if you like the show, please retweet and share what you've heard. And of course, make sure you're following me on Twitter, at NicoMayo, N-I-C-O-M-E-O. I hope you're really enjoying this show. Remember, if you subscribe in iTunes, you'll automatically be notified each time a new episode is released. Similarly, if, like me, you have an Android... You can simply join the mailing list over at mysuncast.com, and you'll get an email from yours truly the morning a new episode is available. If you have a suggestion for someone you think should be featured on the show, I would really love to hear it. I'm starting up the interviews again and am looking for great content. Shoot me an email to nico at mysuncast.com or find me on LinkedIn. And hey, one more thing before you go. We continue to hold regional meetings to refine the purpose for the Latin America and Caribbean Solar Alliance, and we welcome your input. If you were at any of our events in 2015, thank you. We're gearing up again for this year's Intersolar North America, where we'll be hosting another meetup and a private happy hour networking event. Go to www.laxa.org. That's L-A-C-S-A dot O-R-G to jump on our mailing list and join our LinkedIn group. Both of those places will be getting updates from me on a regular basis. In the coming week, I'll be sending out mailing list info on the upcoming event, along with a link to the sign-up form. So head over and subscribe today. The mailing list can be found by going to www.laxa.org. And that's it for this week. Please tune in again next week for another episode of Suncast. And thanks for listening. Until next time, stay informed, my friends, and stay tuned.